Hello again and welcome to Board Cards, the number one board prep podcast on the internet. As always, I'm your host, Everett Scott. Today we're going to be kicking off with our uh, two or maybe three part series all on adolescence. That wonderful age between, I don't know, what, eight and say 16? Question mark? Not sure. Either way, uh, this should be a good one. So we're going to kick it off with the first question. This question asks, A 16-year-old girl presents for well care. While her mother is out of the room, she disclosed to you that she has had vaginal intercourse twice in the past year. Along with counseling and testing for STIs, which birth control method do you tell her is recommended as a first line by the AAP? answer is a long-acting reversible contraception or LARC. LARC, which includes the dermal progesterone implants and IUDs, is recommended by the AAP as the first-line contraception in sexually active adolescent females. It is the most effective form of birth control at over 99%. Worry about the risk of introducing or causing pelvic inflammatory disease with an IUD has been shown to be unfounded with equal rates of PID in females with and without IUDs in place. Male condoms are the most effective method besides abstinence for preventing STIs. Recommend them to adolescents even if they are using other forms of birth control. Didn't think that's where we were heading in this section. I thought that'd be more about medicine, but uh, we're kicking it off with sex. Next card. A 14-year-old girl presents with anxiety about the way her body looks, intense fear for becoming obese, and a BMI in less than the 5th percentile. What is the most likely diagnosis? It's anorexia nervosa, AN. This patient meets all three DSM-5 diagnostic criteria for AN. AN is the deadliest of all psychiatric conditions with severe AN having a mortality rate 10 to 12 times higher than that of the general population. Girls outnumber boys 10 to 1. AN occurs in 1 in 200 girls. Wow, that's a lot. Next card. A teen with anorexia nervosa is admitted and placed on observed meals. Besides potassium and magnesium, what other electrolyte abnormalities are you most concerned with while refeeding her? You should be concerned with hypophosphatemia. Hypophosphatemia. Yep, that's it. Hypophosphatemia is a classic manifestation of refeeding syndrome. The body has been so energy depleted that refeeding overwhelms the conversion of ADP to ATP and results in severe hypophosphatemia as phosphorus stores are depleted. Refeeding drives phosphorus intracellularly. Hypophosphatemia typically occurs within one to two weeks of refeeding and may cause hemolytic anemia, arrhythmias, heart failure, mental status changes, coma, and sudden death. Hypokalemia and hypomagnesia are other manifestations. Thankfully, refeeding syndrome is rare, but always monitor for it. Next card asks, A 17-year-old girl presents with 
bilateral painless uh, paratoid gland swelling, loss of tooth enamel, and metabolic alkalosis. Again, that's bilateral painless paratoid gland swelling, loss of tooth enamel, and metabolic alkalosis. What is the most likely diagnosis? This time it's bulimia nervosa, BN. BN affects 2-3% to of females in the U.S. and about 1% of boys. Patients with BN have recurrent episodes of binge eating during which they have feedings that they lack control of their eating. Due to persistent concerns with their body, like shape or weight, they regularly resort to self-induced vomiting, diuretics, and or laxatives, fasting, and over-exercising to prevent weight gain. Signs and symptoms of self-induced vomiting include bilateral painless parotid gland swelling, loss of tooth enamel, metabolic alkalosis, callus and lacerations on the dorsum of the hands, which is a Russell sign, and a soft palate pedici. Yeah, we're going to go with pedici. Next card. This card is my favorite because it's only one line. What is the most common reason for secondary amenorrhea? Amenorrhea. It's pregnancy. Secondary amenorrhea is the absence of menses for more than three months in adolescents who previously had regular menstrual cycles or the absence of menses for six months in those who have had irregular cycles. Pregnancy is the most common reason for secondary amenorrhea. Pregnancy can also cause a cause of primary amenorrhea, which is no menses to 15 years of age, but this is rare. I don't know what a menses is. Next card. A 15-year-old girl presents with dysmenorrhea. What is the likely cause of her pain? The most likely cause is a prostaglandin production. Prostaglandin production causes vasoconstriction and muscular contractions. NSAIDs improve the symptoms. Combine oral contraceptives, which inhibit ovulation, leading to an atrophic endometrium, decreased menstrual flow, and decreased prostaglandin release, are often effective in adolescents who do not improve with NSAIDs. next card, and hopefully easier to read, a 15-year-old boy presents with a non-tender nodule above and posterior to the right testes, no change with Valsalva, and the nodule transimulates. What is the most likely diagnosis? The answer is a spermatocele. A spermatocele is a a retention cyst of the epidemis containing spermatozoa and located in the efferent ductal system. It presents as a smooth cystic mobile nodule above and posterior to the testes. Spermatoceles do not change in size with Valsalva maneuver and sometimes transilluminate. Typically, they do not affect fertility or require therapy. next card, an 18-year-old college freshman presents with 
painless swelling of his left testicle that he noticed while washing himself. You feel an irregularly shaped firm mass that does not transluminate. What is the best treatment? It's a complete organectomy. Testicular neoplasms are the most common solid tumors in males 15 to 35 years of age. Complete orchiectomies, potentially coupled with a peritoneal lymph node dissection, radiation, and chemotherapy, is the best diagnosis and treatment for testicular cancer. Prior to orchiectomy, workup includes measuring the beta HCG, which is elevated in choriocarcinoma and mixed germ cell tumors, alpha fetoproteins, um, which is elevated in yolk sac tumors and embryonal carcinomas, and LDH, performing testicular ultrasound or MRI and CT scan of the chest and abdomen. Note, most seminomas do not produce any markers. I feel like my pacing was off on that card, and you guys probably agree. I'll do better. Next one. A pregnant teen presents in active labor. You know she has had active genital herpes infection. Which type of delivery should she have? Answer, C-section. In adolescents with genital HSV lesions or prodromal HSV symptoms at the time of labor, Cesarean delivery is recommended. The major complication of maternal HSV infection during delivery is transmission to the newborn. Neonatal infection can result in serious morbidity and mortality. The risk of transmitting HSV from a mother with primary genital infection to her baby at or near delivery is very high, about 40-45%. to 45%. Therefore, women presenting with lesions at the time of delivery should have a C-section. Women without prodomal or clinical signs and symptoms of herpes at the time of delivery can deliver vaginally. Continue on with the pregnancy streak. A pregnant teen presents in active labor. You know she has active genital warts. She and her baby have no other issues. What type of delivery should she have? She should have a vaginal delivery. Do not get genital warts confused with genital herpes. Mothers with active genital herpes lesions at the time of delivery require C-section. Genital warts at the time of delivery do not require C-section unless their size and or number obstruct the birth canal. You must still worry about possible complications in a newborn, like laryngeal palpilomatosis. Next card, a 15-year-old boy presents with a painless ulcer on his dorsal penis that is punched out with clean-appearing, sharp, firm, slightly elevated borders. He also has bilateral regional lymphadenopathy. Yeah, lymphadenopathy. What is the most likely diagnosis? And also, what is a dorsal penis? Answer is he has primary syphilis. This is a classic description of a canker or primary syphilis, a sexually transmitted disease caused by the 
Bruschetti, Treponema pallidum. The lesion typically begins as a painless palpable at the site of inoculation, which soon uh, ulcerates to produce a one to two centimeter ulcer with a raised, firm, indurated, which means punched out margin. The ulcer typically has a non non-executive base and is associated with mild to moderate, often bilateral, regional lymphadenopathy. Screen initially with a non-tryponemal test, like a RPR. A reactive non-tryponemal test is then confirmed with a tryponemal test, like FDA-ABS. Treat primary syphilis, canker, with penicillin G, benzathine. 2.4 million units IM times one dose. If a patient is less than 48 kilograms, dose with 50,000 units per kilogram IM. I think IM means intramuscular, but that's just me taking things out of context and not really knowing what I'm talking about. Next card, a pregnant patient presents with signs, symptoms, and lab confirmation of secondary syphilis. She has anaphylaxis to penicillin. What is the most appropriate therapy? It's desensitization followed by penicillin therapy. For pregnant women with syphilis and a history of an immediate type allergic reaction, anaphylaxis to penicillin, the only appropriate treatment is desensitization followed by penicillin therapy in appropriate doses depending on the stage of syphilis. Alternative treatment options are either not safe for the mother or fetus, like doxycycline, or not effective for prevention of congenital infection. Next card is, what organism is responsible for cancroid? Ooh, it looks like a bacteria. Um, it is... Hemophilus decuri. Hemophilus decuri is a small, deciduous, gram-negative rod. Is the organism responsible for cancroid? The initial lesion is an erythematous palpable that rapidly evolves into a pastule, which then erodes into a one to two centimeter painful ulcer with an erythematous base covered with a grayish, yellow, purulent. Borders are clearly demarcated and sometimes undermined. Inguinal lymphodentis is common. Involved nodes often undergo liquefaction, leading to the development of flatulent, painful bubos, which sometimes rupture and discharge frank pus. Oof. Alright, next card, and this one seems easier. What organism is responsible for granuloma inguinal? I'm going to say that one again. Uh, what organism is responsible for granuloma inguinal? E? It is Klebsiella granulomatis. Granuloma in question mark, is a general sexual transmitted infection caused by Klebsiella granulomatis, an intracellular gram-negative bacterium. 
It is rare in the U.S. and presents as a painless, friable, slow-progressive, beefy red, uh, ulcerative lesion that is extremely vascular and bleeds easily on contact. Regional lymphadenopathy is typically absent. I'm going to pause and ask you guys a question on... I don't really understand the connection between all these and adolescence in particular, you know? I kind of got where we're going with the bulimia and anorexia, but now we're just kind of going over STIs and such in bacteria. And I don't know, maybe it's because kids are, you know, more sexually active and promiscuous, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I don't know. Just want to share my thoughts. Next card. For which STIs should sexually active adolescent females be screened annually? It's Chlamydia, Trachomatis, and Neisseria gonorrhea. Annual screening for both Chlamydia and gonorrhea is recommended in sexually active women 24 years of age and younger. Most chlamydial and gonococcal infections are asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic in women. Left untreated, serious complications, including pelvic inflammatory disease, infertility, pregnancy complications, and chronic pelvic pain may occur. The data is insufficient to make strong recommendations in HIV-unaffected heterosexual men unless they have a history of STI and are seeking STI evaluation or are seeking care in a setting of high prevalence, like adolescent clinics and correctional facilities. Next card is a sexually active 17-year-old female presents with a right upper quadrant abdominal pain, vaginal discharge, and fever. She started her menses today. What is the most likely diagnosis? I got what Mansi's is now. Yeah, okay, I get it. The most likely diagnosis is she has a perihepatitis, which is the Fitzhughes-Curtis syndrome. Perihepatitis is due to Neisseria gonorrhea, chlamydia trachomitis, and or a mixed polymicrobial infection. It is characterized by right upper quadrant abdominal pain that worsens with deep breathing and is often referred to the right shoulder. Marked tenderness of the right upper quadrant is common on exam. It is a complication of pelvic inflammatory disease in 10% of cases. During menses, the inflammatory process is thought to ascend from the fallopian tubes along the perocolic gutters to the right upper quadrant. Aminotransferases are usually normal and only slightly elevated. Cool. We'll do three more cards and I'll bring us halfway. So this will just be a two-parter. Next card is a 16-year-old girl presents with diffuse, frothy, malodorous, yellow-green vaginal discharge, dysuria, Pruritus, vulvular irritation, and a strawberry cervix noted on the PE. What is the most likely diagnosis? 
answer is trichomoniasis. Trichomoniasis due to trichomoniasis vaginalis is classically asymptomatic in men, but more commonly symptomatic in women. Common signs and symptoms may include a purulent, malodorous, frothy, thin discharge associated with burning, uh, pruritus, dysuria, urinary frequency, lower abdominal pain, and dyspareunia. Punctate hemorrhages may be visible on the vagina and cervix, which indicates strawberry cervix. Treatment is metronidazole, 2 grams for one dose, or tinidazole, which is 2 grams for one dose. Treat women at any stage of pregnancy with metronidazole, 2 grams for one dose. Also treat sexual partners. And last question. A 16-year-old female diagnosed with pelvic inflammatory disease (PID) and requires inpatient therapy. She has a history of anaphylaxis to cephalosporins. What two antibiotics should be used for her therapy? It should be clindamycin and gentamicin. I have one card left. Go away. Initial therapy for PID should include, stay with me folks, should provide antimicrobial coverage against C. trichomatis and N. gonorrhea, trypococci, gram-negative enteric bacalli, and anaerobic organisms. The best choice for initial parental therapy in hospitalized cephalosporin allergic patients is clindamycin 900 milligrams IV every eight hours shut up plus a gentamicin loading dose of two milligrams per kilogram IV or IM followed by a maintenance dose of 1.5 milligram per kilogram every eight hours patients can usually be transitioned from uh, Parenteral to oral therapy after 24 hours of sustained clinical improvement. Recommendations for oral therapy include doxycycline, 100 mg PO bid to complete a 14-day course, or azithromycin, 500 mg PO once followed by 250 mg PO once daily to complete a 7-day course. Oh gosh, that card sucks. See you guys next time. Sorry for Coco with the dog. Thank you.